The text for this morning's service is from Philippians 4, the verses 10 through 13. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. After the sermon, we will respond by singing from Psalm 145, the stanzas 1, or the stanzas 3 and 4. Psalm 145, the stanzas 3 and 4. After the sermon, beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, also you, boys and girls, do you know the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat? A thermometer only registers the temperature. It doesn't change anything. It just sits there, so to speak, and allows itself to be affected by the atmosphere around. It just goes up and down in accordance with the prevailing temperatures. Thermostat, on the other hand, only registers the temperature. But... No, a thermostat on the hand not only registers the temperature, but is also capable of changing it. Its function is to regulate and to change the temperature in a room. When things get too hot, the thermostat sees to it that the right temperature is maintained by allowing things to heat up a little. And when things get too hot, it shuts the heater down until the temperature is achieved. Now, Paul is a thermostat. He is a very active and conscientious and knowledgeable one. He knows what the right atmosphere ought to be for God's people. He knows how to change the atmosphere so it will be changed to the right conditions. He knows how to warm things up by the spiritual, when the spiritual conditions are too cold, and he knows how to cool things down when they get too hot. He knows these things because he has been taught in the school of meteorology of the Lord. The Lord God has taught Paul what the best conditions are which allow spiritual life to flourish. For as you know, Paul has had quite a life. He has seen many hardships. He was imprisoned on several occasions and was subject to some of the most horrible conditions possible. He had been shipwrecked, flogged, and been subject to serious illnesses. Furthermore, throughout his life, he had a thorn in the flesh which bothered him constantly. But there were also other times. At one time, he was a Pharisee. Pharisees were men of influence and wealth. And no doubt that will have been the case with him as well. 
Even after his conversion, he still had opportunities to enjoy some earthly comforts, as he did in the house of Lydia. He had seen it all. He had also seen it all with regard to his relationship with people. He knew rejection and praise, ridicule and respect, scorn and love, cooperation and opposition, for he came into contact with all kinds of people. Some would eagerly listen to him and eventually come to faith. Others would reject his message and even be openly hostile to him. And not everyone who believed became, and who became outwardly of the body of the true believers was a true believer. There were also traitors, those who became Christians for the wrong reasons, and they caused him many problems. Their behavior hurt Paul more than anything else. But throughout it all, Paul was able to give thanks and to be content. There is a certain secret to such contentment. Most people are not able to find contentment in the midst of the kind of curveballs that life can bring you. And so Paul wants to teach the Philippians and he wants to teach you and me what that secret is. And that's what I will preach to you about this morning. The theme is as follows. Learn the secret of contentment in all circumstances. Be content in difficult circumstances and in the second place, mysterious circumstances. Paul writes this letter to the Philippians from prison. He doesn't say where that prison is, but most commentators agree that it is in the prison in Rome. And Paul knows that he most likely will not be released from this prison and that he is nearing the end of his life. For he wanted to write this letter so that he could thank them for the gift that they sent when they heard about his imprisonment in Rome. Paul, because of the gospel that he brought, had made quite an impression upon the Philippians. And so although Paul was far away from them, it had been some time since they had seen him and they had not forgotten him. On the contrary, they remembered the various trials that they had gone through together and how the Lord had been with them and how Paul had showed them how to conduct themselves also in very difficult circumstances. When Paul first went to Philippi, things were going well. We read about that in the first part of Acts 16. On the first Sabbath, he, together with Silas and Timothy, who accompanied him, went outside the city by the river where some people of the Jewish faith had gathered together to pray. Among them was a woman named Lydia. She originally came from Thyatira, where she had lived as a pagan. But later she became interested in the Jewish faith. She was a seller of purple goods. Most likely she was a very wealthy woman, for she had many servants, and furthermore, only those with money could trade in such an expensive commodity as purple goods, for the dye for the material was derived from the throat of the shellfish who were found in the waters of Thyatira. Each shellfish produced only one drop of purple dye. And by means of the preaching of Paul, Lydia came to faith, after which she was immediately baptized. And then she invites Paul, Silas, and Timothy to come and stay at her house. They could not refuse such an invitation. 
at her home, they will no doubt have been quite comfortable. But at this point, Paul could enjoy some of the earthly comforts that life can bring. But that's not what Paul was about. Paul wanted to bring the gospel. And so he did. And one day, as they once again made their way to the place of prayer, they were met by a female fortune teller. She was a slave girl whose masters used her in order to enrich themselves. She followed Paul and his companions and said in a loud voice, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. And she kept that up for many days. Understandably, Paul did not want to be constantly advertised in this way. She was a demon-possessed girl, and everybody knew that. Paul did not want the people to have the impression that there was some kind of connection between the kingdom of light and between the kingdom of darkness. And so he orders the demon to leave her. As a result, the owners of the slave girl are furious. They lost an important source of income. And so they dragged them in front of the authorities. Note well that they do not give the real reason why they are upset. No, they find something that would evoke the sympathy of as many people as possible. They tell the authorities that Paul and the others are Jewish troublemakers who do not uphold Roman customs. The charges were quite inflammatory and the crowds join in condemning them. And so they are stripped and beaten with rods. To be beaten in such a way is extremely painful. When they beat you like that, they inflict great physical and emotional pain. For there were no fixed numbers of lashings. The tortures could give full vent to their cruelty. And to top it all off, after their flogging, Paul and the rest were thrown into prison. They were thrown into an inner dungeon, a musty hole, where their feet were locked wide apart in gruesome stalks. Their wrists were also manacled in irons attached to chains in the wall. Thankfully, Paul was not in that prison for very long. The Lord rescued him through an earthquake. But he quickly left the city, for the authorities had begged him to leave. For Paul well, made him aware that he was a Roman citizen. Paul knew his rights. Roman citizens, as they well knew, were not to be treated in this way. But the people of that city, those who had come to faith, did not forget about Paul as he left on his missionary tours. In fact, when Paul was in Thessalonica, he even received a gift from them. They also shared in his work of relief through their generosity, through their gift to the needy church at Jerusalem. But now here is Paul, many years later, in the city of Rome, where once again he is being detained, awaiting trial. For two years he had lost contact with the church at Philippi, and then suddenly one of their members shows up with a gift for him. They had been concerned for him. The matter of Paul's imprisonment had become known, and a desire had sprung up to do something for him. As soon as they were able... They sent someone with a gift. And notice how Paul expresses his thanks to them. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. 
It is not so that the joy that Paul received was because of the gift. He was not like a child at Christmas, full of joy, because of the present that he received. The joy was there because of what that gift pointed to, namely the care and concern of the Philippian for him, and their determination to see to his welfare, but more particularly, to see his ministry flourish. The gospel had made inroads, and they wanted to make sure that Paul would be in a position to be able to continue to share the gospel. And so, what gave him joy was not the goods, the gift, however necessary that was for his work, about the people and how they behaved, how they had been gripped by the good news of the word, and how they wanted to have that word shared. And so his rejoicing is not in them in the first place, but in the Lord and what he has done. And Paul wants to make sure that it is clearly understood. That is why in verse 11 he also hastens to explain that he does not complain of need. He wants to make sure that they understand his joy, that his joy is not at receiving earthly goods. But look at what he says further. He says, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. When he makes that statement, they have no reason to doubt him. They know that he is sincere. For they know the kinds of hardships that he's had to endure, and they knew that throughout it all, Paul was always thankful and joyful. They knew that from personal experience. They knew the kind of man he was. For he was joyful and thankful even when he was in the prison in Philippi. He had been severely flogged and put into chains. And yet he was full of the wonderful news of the gospel. And they remembered that. They remembered that when he was in prison, how he prayed and sang psalms and hymns. He did not complain about the cruel things that were happening to him. No, he rejoiced. Why? Because Paul saw that the hand of God is in everything. He saw God's grace and goodness. He even saw the opportunity to spread the good news of salvation in a circumstance such as this. Paul knew from what he had been delivered. And he wanted to share that, and he did. For what happened when he was there in that prison, chained to the wall, bleeding from his wounds... Well, the other prisoners heard him, and so did the jailer. They heard his joy. They heard his prayer. They heard his singing. Do you realize how remarkable that is? It's unheard of, isn't it? Here is Paul. His rights had been flagrantly disregarded by the authority. He was falsely accused and was not even given the opportunity to defend himself. He was beaten like a common critter, like a common criminal, thrown in jail. And there he is, singing and rejoicing in the midst of all that misery. How do you think that changed the atmosphere in that prison? Is it any wonder that he got the attention of everyone? For a positive attitude, just like a negative one, is contagious. And those prisoners will have marveled at the positive attitude of those new prisoners. 
And they no doubt would have wondered, what kind of people would do such a thing? Let's ask ourselves, would you, would I, be able to do that in those circumstances? That'd be hard, wouldn't it? Thankfully, none of us have to experience conditions like Paul did. There are those do. There are those who do. Missionaries and simple believers in countries where it is forbidden to preach the gospel. But don't forget that when you are in a situation like that, then the Lord God gives you the strength to be able to give thanks even in those circumstances. But you will never be able to do that if these kinds of things happen to you. If you cannot do that as well right now, in the kinds of hardships that you are experiencing right now. And so let me ask you, are you able to do that in your circumstances? Can you also, in spite of the difficulties and hardships in your life, sing praises to the Lord your God? Is that how you show your faith every day? Joy in the Lord? Can you rejoice even when you lose your job? Even when things are going wrong? Can you still be thankful when you get old? And you have all kinds of ailments? When you are no longer able to do the things you could before? We often feel sorry for ourselves. We have this ailment and that complaint. This person has this, and I don't have anything like that. My boss, oh, he doesn't treat me right. My teacher, he doesn't like me. My mom and dad, they're too strict. My boss doesn't appreciate me. And so we can go on. We complain. That's our nature. Do you know how important it is to be able to be thankful, to be able to be content in all circumstances? It is necessary for your soul. God wants you to rejoice in all circumstances. And you have lots to rejoice about. And he also wants you to be able to bring others and strengthen others in their faith in that way. Do you do that? How do you affect others in your job? Are you a thermometer that just sits there and does nothing except register the temperature? Or are you a thermostat? Whatever your attitude is, it is always contagious. It's catching. If you are a grumbler and complainer, then you will put a damper on things. Do you get thanks? Even when things get rough, does your behavior affect the behavior of others for the good? Look at what happened to Paul, and look at how he affected the people for what happens. An earthquake hits the area which sets all those prisoners free from their bonds. But the remarkable thing is that Paul does not bolt from the prison as you would expect. For he thought that that is not the right thing to do under these circumstances. For he had been put into that prison wrongly in the first place. 
Paul stays right there. And then we see the result of all that. Men come to faith. The jailer and his household comes to faith. You see, Paul was a, was a thermostat. He did not take over the gloomy atmosphere of that prison and the gloomy atmosphere of those prisoners there. When he came to that prison, things were pretty cold. The atmosphere, at least. And what did he do? He warmed it up. And he warmed it up with the only thing he knew with the word of God. He did not enter into the bitterness of those people, nor into their complaining and negative attitude. He said, men, we have a lot to be thankful for. Let's sing. Let's pray. And it worked wonders. And no doubt among the people to whom he is writing in Philippi, there will have been those who were converted that very night. The jailer and his family, for one, will have been among the recipients of this letter that he writes to them from his prison in Rome. And they remembered that night. They had learned the secret. We come to the second point. Note well that in our text twice the word learned is used, in verse 11 and in verse 12. But in verse 12 it says that he has learned the secret. He uses a completely different word in verse 12. Here in verse 12 he is speaking about learning a mystery. And he says only a Christian can know what that secret is. Only he knows, in other words, what true joy and thankfulness is all about. No matter what life may bring, a believer always finds something to be thankful for. And it is something that the world knows nothing about. Oh sure, it may seem like that. For there are those who are able to take everything in stride. Paul also knew people like that. During his day, these people were called Stoics. As a matter of fact, the very word Paul uses for contentment in this verse is one of their favorite words. The Greek word means self-sufficient. The Stoics' philosophy was to grin and bear it all. Do not allow yourself to be upset by external circumstances. Do not allow your mood to be affected by anything or anyone else. This kind of thinking also reminds of Buddhism. Those who subscribe to such a philosophy wish to create their own mood. Their peace of mind is self-manufactured. But it doesn't last. Certainly not into eternity. And so Paul is not speaking about that kind of contentment. He speaks about contentment that is true and real and that lasts. Oh sure, it's a mystery, but it is not a mystery for you and for me, brothers and sisters, for us as believers. For God has revealed it to us. Paul says in 1, in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7 and 8, No, we speak of God's secret wisdom. A wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And then Paul says further in the verses 10 and following, But God has revealed to us by his Spirit. 
The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? God has revealed to us by the Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. We have the Spirit of God that we might understand the gifts from God. God has given you His Spirit. The people of the world do not have it. They have rejected it. And that is why they do nothing but complain and grumble about everything. For if they knew the gifts of God, they would not dare to do so. It would not come up in their minds to do so. For when you are a believer, then you have a completely different mindset. Then you understand that in spite of sin, God nevertheless always finds a way out. The world thinks itself to be self-sufficient. The scientists of today think that this world is some kind of natural machine which keeps on turning on its own. This earth is programmed to keep on turning the way it always has. Not even God can stop those wheels. And if something out of the ordinary happens, then that is only a minor glitch which will will either man will have to correct or which will correct itself on its own. But the word of God clearly teaches the providential workings of God in nature and in the lives of his people. The word providence literally means to see beforehand. It does not just refer to the fact that God knows beforehand. Providence involves much more. It involves the working of God in advance to arrange circumstances and situations in in order to fulfill his purposes. Paul experienced God's divine providence in his life. He knew that when adversity would strike, that God would use it for his good. As Paul says himself in Romans 8 verse 28, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. To the people of the world, life is nothing more but a series of coincidences and accidents. Your fate depends all on the luck of the draw. The one man's sorrow is another man's gain. Sometimes you're lucky, other times you're not. You have to make the best of things. And you must get out of life as much as you can. And the best way to do that is to stand up for your own rights. And to complain when things are not in your favor. And that is why we live in a world of grumblers and blame shifters. What does God say? He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Psalm 32 verse 8. There are times when God withholds certain things. There are times when he withholds the crop from a farmer. There are times when he withholds healing. But that doesn't mean that his eye is not on us. He withholds certain things in order to make us reflect. He withholds the crops to make us think. God is in control here. Trust in him. He has all things in his hands. It's all in his good pleasure. He is the one who created it all. And that is the secret that Paul learned. And that is the secret that you and I must learn as well. Only a true believer can put it all into perspective. 
even in the midst of all kinds of miserable circumstances, he can go to God and thank him for the fact that he is in control. Paul says, I know what it is to be in need. The verb that he uses here is the word elsewhere used for humbling. God humbles us. Do you know why? He does so, so that we can be exalted. Do you want to be exalted, brothers and sisters? Well, do you know how to be humbled? Do you know how to be content in all circumstances? Take not only the good from God, but also the bad that comes your way. For if you accept it in faith, God will turn it to your good. That's what he promised. This morning he has once again shown you his secret. But it's no longer a secret, is it? You know what it is. God is taking care of you, always, in all circumstances. What a reason for contentment and thankfulness. Amen.
let us give thanks in prayer. Father in heaven, how wonderful it is that we may know that you take care of us in all circumstances, that we can trust in you, for you have shown your faithfulness throughout the ages. You show yourself an almighty God, the maker of heaven and earth. And you show, O Lord, from your word, that we are precious in your sight. And so we do not have to be anxious about anything, no matter what happens to us. For as your children, we're always safe. We're safe even though we are afraid, even though bad things happen to us, 